Good evening, welcome to Steve Wraith's True Crime Interviews, and we're live. Uh, we've done a, a couple of lives today, uh, you'll be getting spoiled, uh, but it's a big welcome to OG tonight. OG, how are you? Superb, how are you doing, brother? Good to see you, live from Mexico, and uh, OG uh, was uh, introduced to me by a, a mutual friend of ours, Sean Atwood. Sean uh, has got a fantastic channel, please go and subscribe to that. Uh, he has interviewed OG on numerous occasions, something which I've followed with interest, because what OG has done is, over the years, uh, covered the cartels uh, on YouTube, and put his own life at risk, it has to be said, by doing that. Um, he's, he's led a very, very interesting life. He's used the YouTube community to try and share the truth, not the fiction, on YouTube. Sadly, he's, he's been uh, the victim of being blocked and um, have channels taken down and demonetized, etc. But he keeps bouncing back. Um, and today's podcast really is just to introduce... OG to my viewers, I've got over you know close to forty-seven thousand subscribers now. Um, so great to introduce OG to my community. Um, I'm going to ask him a few questions. I would also ask you all to check the links below. If you see the links below, you will see right at the top of the uh, the description, you will see OG's new channel. Now that's his podcast channel. Uh, please subscribe to that. He's just hit a thousand subscribers. He's had some great shows on there already. Please, please subscribe. OG also relies on donations and he's got a Patreon page as well. We've put both links for those down below. So please take a look, uh, subscribe to his channel first and foremost. And if you're feeling generous and you've got something you can donate, please donate as well. Why should you donate? Well, we're going to find out now. OG, welcome to my show, mate. Great to have you on. Pleasure to be here, brother. Pleasure to be here. A friend of Sean's a friend of mine. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back uh, before you went to Mexico. Let's talk a little bit about the Philippines because you were jailed in the Philippines. I remember watching uh, one of Sean's very first shows with you. I think it was back during lockdown in this country in 2019, uh, where he was talking about you you being jailed for I think it was possession of a couple of joints in Philippines. Is that right? Yeah, well, I got. Those are planted. I didn't even have those, but I do smoke pot. But at the time, those weren't mine that they planted on me. It was, uh, and I already served my time. I already got it done and everything. But I'm just speaking the truth because they plant, they planted two joints on me, basically. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, to to be in a foreign country and to be banged up abroad is something that Sean went through. What 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 was it like for you? Uh horrible. Well, Sean was lucky because he got banged up abroad in a first world country, right? So what happened to me? was for those who don't know the philippines is third world but on top of that it's extremely poor even for third world standards so you know it was rough i'm not gonna lie and try to make it sound easy because it wasn't um it could have been a lot rougher you know that i consider myself lucky but uh it was a horrible place i'm not gonna lie Uh, were, you, were you in a cell by yourself, OG, or were you sharing a cell? Can you hear me, OG? Are you okay, mate? Can you still hear us? We've lost your sound, OG. 
Oh, we've got you back there, mate. We've got you back. And just here, you, you, you're very quiet. Hello? Can you hear me now? Okay, bear with us, folks, while uh, OG uh, sort his sound out. It's just a volume issue, OG. We just can't hear you. You'll have to bear with us, folks, just while OG sorts the sound out. Do you? Do you want to go out and come back in, OG? Yeah, this is the problem. Sometimes we're doing live broadcasts. Um, we'll wait and see whether OG jumps back in. If not, we'll have to rearrange the interview. But we will bear bear with us for for the time being. Um, I will keep an eye out in the green room for him returning. Um, uh, if you've missed it already tonight, we have done a, a couple of little shorts. Um, I have done a reply uh, to uh, a couple of situations which have developed on YouTube over the last uh, week. Uh, you might want to check out the man in the shed uh, video. Uh, which was broadcast about half an hour ago, and the one um, that I addressed, somebody who's quite a controversial character on uh, YouTube these days, uh, just addressed him as well. Uh, but take a look at that. Uh, those of you who are regular viewers to the channel will know that we are sponsored by SpiderVPN. For all your Google, uh, for all your internet necessities, then Google SpiderVPN. They come up at the top of the search list and they protect your computer and everything on it. Big thank you also to skipsandbins.com, telephone 0800 2545 email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website www.skipsandbins.com, easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection. OG is back. What's your sound like, mate? Good, brother. I don't know why it cut off. That happens sometimes. Um, because don't of worry. I, am, don't I think worry. sometimes I get interference because I have full signal, full everything. I don't know why I did that. And the weird thing, it wasn't just on my side. I couldn't I couldn't hear you or use the mic, so it completely jammed my signal. Don't worry, brother, we've got your back. So when I was asking about the Philippines, obviously you were, you know, when you when you were in inside, uh, did you have your own cell? Were you sharing the cell with anybody? Uh good question. So when I first went in, they had us in separate cells like in the first couple hours before they actually brought us into the big jail. Now once they brought us in, after they decided, you know, that they confirmed our ID and everything, I think what you call processing in the United States, after the processing phase, there were cells, and I'd say most of them had between 8 to 30 people, depending on the size. The one I went into, it had like probably 9 or 10 guys, if I remember correctly, at first. But we were only in that cell for like 3 or 4 days, and then they give you your own cell. So you go from processing, and that's basically like the fish tank, what they call it, and then from the fish tank, you get put into where you're gonna be for the rest of your stay. What was the food like in there? Oh, horrible. It was mostly like in the morning, you'd get two dried fish and a cup of rice. And at night, usually there'd be soup, but it wasn't really soup. It was just broth with a cup of rice. So basically two cups of rice and maybe a couple of dried fish a day. That's about it. Wow. I mean, did you eat it? I mean, it doesn't sound very appetizing, but I guess when you get hungry, you, you you know, you've got no other choice. Exactly. When you're hungry, you're hungry. And that's what, you know, made me adapt fast was just the necessity. You'd be surprised when your body isn't left with any choices, what it's capable of doing. 
it's a it's a question I'm going to ask. Was being white in that kind of prison was that an issue? Oh, of course it was. Of course, um, there wasn't any other white prisoners uh, when I was there. But luckily, I'd already spent like around three years there in the Philippines, so I kind of understood the culture, and that saved me a lot because they're very traditional, and there's lots of taboos that wouldn't be a taboo maybe in the United States. So it could be very easy to offend people if you don't understand the culture there. But luckily, you know, like I said, I had a good grasp on the culture and I already made friends and knew people there. If I would have just gotten thrown in, maybe as like a tourist on vacation or something like that, who had no idea about it, uh, it could have been very dangerous. Well, it was dangerous, but it could have been a lot more dangerous. Could, could you speak any language? Could you speak the language? Yeah, yeah. I speak louder, brother. My bad. No, I'm, um, no, I'm, I'm saying that I'm, it could have been a lot more dangerous, but the fact I knew the culture and everything, that definitely saved me. Yeah, could you could you speak their language? Oh, their language. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Um, yeah, I can speak a little bit of Tagalog. Tagalog That means I speak a little bit of Tagalog. Unbelievable. So, you know, that, that would have got you through, I guess. What I mean, I presume you must have seen a lot of violence in there. I can tell you about the first thing I saw um, when I was still in that first processing. There was a guy in the next cell over. And so you can picture these are like old, old jails, like they're metal bars. So there's metal bars in the front, metal bars on each side of you. And behind you is like a solid brick wall. Right. So this is when we were still in the single man cells where I told you, like when they're processing. Now, there is a bed against like a cot. I wouldn't even call it a bed, a cot against that brick wall. But the cells were so narrow that basically your head was against the bars on one side and your feet almost were touching the bars on the other side on that cut. So it was about two, like five or six. And usually they'd start taking people to court and stuff around six or seven. So there was a person beside me and he'd spilt something. I can't remember what he spilled, but he spilled something. And he asked the guard for a mop. So the guard goes and gets the mop because there's no trustee prisoners or anything like the United States. Just the if you're a prisoner, you're on the inside of the cell. So the guard comes, brings this guy a mop, and he said, I'll be back. And I can't remember how many minutes he said, a couple minutes. No one was really paying attention. Um, I kind of was because I was kind of on high alert. It was my first night there, and I didn't really know what to expect. Now, the I didn't see him do the actual breaking of it, but he broke the mop. He broke the, the stick, and he'd been fighting with someone in the next cell over from him. I don't know if that dude like informed on him, you know, like on his case and they were arrested together or if this was a fight that started inside the jail. But he took the broken broom and it was basically a spear now because where he broke it, it made a like the moment he broke it, it made a point. Now, the other person he'd been fighting with was laying down in his bed, still talking shit. And this guy literally took the, the broom and used it like a spear and got him right here in the collarbone and it went into his collarbone and almost came out like below here so it went right completely through him and he was dying almost instantly but he grabbed it and tried to fight with it and in the curse course of that actually ripped his own neck open because him grabbing this and fighting just made it way worse he just ripped it open but out of panic you know like when it first happened i can understand it he probably didn't even know what the hell happened he just felt pain and he grabbed that stick and he was just trying to pull it out or who knows what he was thinking, but the other guy was grabbing it so hard that he'd actually push the, the, the mop through the bed into the floor. So it had already gone through the bed and it was touching the floor. 
So he had him completely speared like a damn fish. Wow. Were, were you ever attacked yourself, OG? Were you were you stabbed yes. or, or attacked? Yes, I was. I was attacked in the bathroom, kind of over the same thing. What's funny is that what actually got me in there was a basketball game. I was talking shit to some cops, and I was on a municipal team, like a league, and they were on their own little police officers league. Now, they kind of got pissed because they were elbowing me, and I elbowed back. That's what caused them to plant the cigarettes on me later. Point being, though, when I was in jail, I was playing another basketball game. You think I would have learned my lesson, right? And these two guys were talking shit, and they thought I didn't understand, but I did understand. And I answered them in, in Tagalog. Uh, it's, you know, it's like, tell your mother to go shove it where the sun doesn't start shine. Because they were telling me the same shit beforehand. So we get into the bathroom. I went with a friend. We never go by ourselves. And I was using the bathroom. And someone had talked to him, like on the basketball, the court, the, the basketball court. So he ran over there. And I was finishing what I was doing. It wasn't probably like 20, 30 seconds he'd left. I was just about to leave. I was, you know, zipping up and everything. And right when that happened, this dude almost jumped on my back because he was a lot shorter than me and tried to cut my neck with a razor blade at first is what I thought. But it was actually what it was was an ice pick that he'd stuck in. And I thought he was trying to cut like this with the razor blade. So I grabbed his wrist to try to keep it from, from cutting my neck. But he'd already stuck me. So I didn't understand that he already had it in me. And here I am trying to stop his arm from going back, but he's trying to push it in. So when I, it took me a second or two to realize it. And once I realized it, I pushed him with all my weight and went kind of running as best I could to the back wall and ran him into the wall behind me while I was holding it, trying to keep it from, from going in anymore. And when I did that, I finally got it out of my neck. I said, finally, it was only a couple of seconds, but when you have a foreign object in your body, it feels like an hour, you know, it's, uh, it's, so I don't even know how to explain it. It's not really the pain, but it's the shock and the panic that hits you because you know there's something in your body that's not supposed to be there. Well, when I hit that back wall, we started screaming and shit. And there was only two or three more seconds where I had him on the floor and I was hitting him. But the guy who had left me originally to go to the bathroom, he noticed what was going on. And they came and ran in the bathroom and we smashed them out and shit. But it was bad. I could have lost my life there. Um, if he would have had better aim with the ice pick, you know, it could have been bad. It could have, he missed like a jugular by about this much, which probably doesn't look so close, but it's close, you know, an inch, an inch is an inch of your life. It's close. It's a, it's a terrifying story. I can, I can imagine that the prison authorities, the, the prison guards, don't pay much attention to what they going don't on. go inside the prison they stand the outside on the outer wall they do not go inside the prison literally they won't go they refuse to go inside the, the jail they and it's this is well known they even say this you know like i think there's a documentary on youtube if i remember and they actually stated that that they refuse to go inside the prison grounds that's not their job their job is just to prevent people from escaping not to guard or control the prisoners in any way Wow. I've watched an American series called Prison Break, and it gives you that impression. These prisons abroad, they aren't playgrounds. They are dangerous places to be. hundred percent. In fact, um, like the local cartel, if you want to look at it like that, was recruiting. So all the other people that would get arrested for other crimes and drugs, if they were in a province. Now, they're like we think of states in the United States, but there it's separated by provinces. So... <clears throat> They'd find people from a province where they didn't have a big 
presence. And out, as people would be getting sent to Manila from all over the country, this would give them a chance to expand, but super easily. So they kind of used the prison as an recruitment center and to expand their operations, basically, without ever having to actually leave and do logistics or anything like that. They were just literally using the jail as a place. And they'd actually send them from the jail after they got out. Right after they got out, they'd give them dope or whatever it was and send them back to where they came from and they'd start working for them. And that was just accepted. You know, that was their big recruiting ground. I think over the uh, the last few years, especially uh, during lockdown in the UK, a lot of people will have watched things like Narcos. Uh, they will have watched programs about Pablo Escobar. Uh, they will have watched many, uh, you know, documentaries about the, the cartels. Um, and that really is why we, we got you on the show to talk about cartels. And I mean, for me, uh, just, just my limited knowledge is that the Mexican cartels have dominated the cocaine markets. Is that still the case? Yes, not just the cocaine market. In fact, if you look at a quote the CIA did not too long ago, it was actually speaking on specific on the Sinaloa cartel. And they said it's the only group to have ever existed that has the power to bribe or extort anybody on the planet to the point that they make the Italian mafia look at, look like novices. And that was the quote from the CIA. Um, and I think that's an understatement even uh, because they don't just control the cocaine market. They also control a good part of the marijuana market, even the United States, even though they legalized it. These people invested very heavily. Like when they legalized it, they also invested in, in the legal the legal part. And on top of all that, we also have to look at the increase in, in poppy production in places like here, like Sinaloa or the rest of the Golden Triangle. The Golden Triangle is comprised of Durango, Sinaloa, and Chihuahua. And in fact, no one really has a, a clue how much heroin is produced there, but it's skyrocketed the production. You know, it's in the last 10 years, it's become so much cheaper. And then on top of that, we have fentanyl. So the Mexican cartels learned how to cook fentanyl themselves. So they don't need the Chinese anymore. Since about two years ago, they actually started cooking and producing it here. And if you ask me, they've got to be the largest, you know, if not second largest producer of fentanyl. I don't know if they've passed China really, but there's no way to measure because China's not going to say the real numbers and they're not going to say the real numbers. So it's really just guesswork. And I don't trust the DEA or any of these other agencies' uh, numbers. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, who's the dominant cartel now? How many cartels are there? Oh, brother, there's hundreds of cartels. Um, but as far as dominance, you know, the Sinaloa cartel's traditionally been the dominant cartel, but the government actually made, if you want to call it a mistake, of favoring the Jalisco cartel um, several years ago. And they actually ended up becoming narco-terrorists instead of narco-traffickers. And that's directly behind the kidnappings, the rise in violence, um, terrorist acts directly. There's a massacre two weeks ago they did it at a funeral where somebody they wanted, they pulled up and got him out of the funeral put him in the car to kidnap him, but made him watch as they killed 17 members of this guy's family. Wow. Um, things like that make them terrorists, right? And to answer your question, it's put between the Jalisco cartel and the Sinaloa cartel. Those are the two groups. Has there been a lot of fallout since El Chapo's arrest? No, because El Chapo wasn't important. Um, a lot of people think he was, but he was really nobody as far as leadership. 
um, he was the fall guy, the scapegoat, kind of like Mencho is the fall guy and the scapegoat for the Lisco cartel. They'd never let their leader be known or have his face anywhere. Uh, the actual people in control of the Jalisco cartel are known as the Queenies. They are the richest cartel in Mexico and always have been. Uh, they dedicate principally to washing money. So to answer your question about Chapo, the real boss of the Sinaloa cartel has always been Mayo Zambala. And Chapo has been the fall guy. Uh, Mayo's 73 years old. He's never been to prison. And he's the largest crime boss, as far as I know, in the world. Um, well, I don't even know how much money. You know, there's really no way to gauge it. It's interesting that because those people who tend to, to fall on their swords in crime tend to be the people who publicize themselves. In the UK, uh, there was Ronnie Cray and Reggie Cray. They are probably the most notorious gangsters in London. The Cray brothers, uh, right? They obviously suffered because of publicity. Uh, in, in America, the mafia, John Gotti, um, the Teflon Don, somebody who publicized himself openly Al Capone, another just American like Sapo, he wanted to do a movie, yeah. learned himself. Yeah, so, 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 yeah, so the guy Mayo seems to be the man who is is probably the godfather of the of 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 the cartels, I guess. That's who I I used to work for. I worked for him for a long time. Um, the people I was a part of the Anthrax, we were the armed wing of Mayo's faction. There's always been several factions of the Sinaloa cartel. People think it's one group, but it's actually a federation of several groups headed by several heads. Uh, Miles been in control of all of them. Like he's the leader, if you want to look at it like that. But each faction had their own boss as well, like Chapo's faction. Um, and that actually caused a lot of violence. In fact, Chapo's children betrayed Miles within the last two years and started killing his people and tried to take Sinaloa for themselves. Um, it didn't work out too well for him. They actually called a peace deal not too long ago, but it's amazing because Mencho had them kidnapped um, not all long ago, and Mayo was the one who saved them, as well as, you know, he saved them on several other occasions. There's been lots of betrayals. Um, they killed the one who was head of my organization, Chino Anthrax, over a bar fight. Uh, 10 years before where he got the best of one of them and they just never let it go and tried to create an alternate uh, narrative to justify them killing him. So everyone didn't hate him, but people who know, know the truth, you know, people here know that they did it and they know why. Yeah. We've, we've got people watching live tonight. Steven Ross used to be a moderator on your channel. He just says yes. he's glad that you are okay. Um, so he passes on his best to you. Thank you, uh, Steven. I remember seeing you on there, brother. I haven't seen you in a while. I think he was the moderator on my last channel. I had 180,000 subscribers when I deleted it. Wow, wow, wow. This is Muhammad, actually my fifth channel. Muhammad does say, um, he says, can you ask OG, uh, what's the cheapest drug out there and what size deal is the minimum? He says, does he know? The cheapest drug's always marijuana. It's always been. Um, but the cartels don't really sell in small quantities unless you're a Mexican local, you know, and you live here. They have their little bags that probably be like, in the United States of 10 pesos, it'd be like the equivalent of 50 cents and it gets you a couple of joints, you know, three or four cigarettes. Yeah. Okay. He also says, how close are you to the places? Honestly, um, where my ranch is, I've got one a couple of miles from my house, probably actually less than a mile, but I don't go to those places because I don't deal with those people. You know, I have friends that do me the favor and stuff. I don't ever try to go and, and buy things from organized crime now i try to avoid them 
because I don't want to associate with them or be friends. But on top of that, I don't like my money going to what they use it for. So there's yeah. little like mom and pop people. You could look at it like that who actually grow wholesale. But if you know them, they'll do you the favor and sell it to you on the side. So you don't have to go directly to the mafia. And then the money goes to them because they're just poor farmers. Um, and the mafia is the one who makes the real money, unfortunately. And these people usually stay in poverty. Yeah. Um, Bunny, Bunny Shane says, I've got sleepless nights for OG. He's a brave lad. Um, lots of nice comments. Lots of positive comments coming in. Um, um, what's, what's it like with the police out there? I presume they still turn a blind eye. So they have a saying out here that kind of simplifies everything. Plato o plomo, which means silver or lead. As in, they get to the police and they'll say, do you want the silver as in you take my bribe? Or do you want the lead as in you take my bullets? So all of them are corrupt 100% across the bar. There's no such thing as a, a straight cop. I know a lot of people have a problem believing that. But here's how it works. All these corrupt cops would never become comfortable, even if just one of them wasn't corrupt, because he could tell on them or, you know, end up getting prosecuted, whatever. So it's all across the bar. You're either corrupt and with the movement, con la onda, as they say here, or you're not with it at all and they don't even let you work there. Wow. And I, I presume the politicians are on the take as well, financially. Of course, brother, up to the president. Um, you can even look at Chapo's trial. He was actually speaking on how Mayo's son would go and meet with the president at their White House and speak to him in the mornings like he'd get the first pick on the president before the generals, before anybody. So that, you know, says what their priorities are, right? Yeah, it, it does. It's uh, I mean, we see a lot of this on TV over here and, um, you know, some people scratch their head, some people disbelieve it. But, um, you know, when you know how corrupt it is, it, it, it makes it very easy for me to, to, to see that. Um, how's the pandemic affected um, the, the drug trade? Good question. Um, at first, it was definitely hurting them because all the trades, so all these container ships, everything got frozen, right? There was no movement. But they figure out ways, as they always do. You know, it just took them maybe a couple of days or a week, and they got around it. But at first, it definitely froze them up. And on top of that, they had to diversify how they were selling. So before, the majority of their sales would be at drug spots. They call them trap houses in the U.S. Here, they call them tiraderos. And they kind of had to diversify to do more home service, as in deliveries. So the deliveries went way up because people weren't allowed to just go out when they wanted. And, you know, the actual bread and butter of them selling out of their stores kind of went way down because people weren't coming on foot like that anymore. I, I get paint a picture for the viewers. You know, is it a poor, is it a poor country? Is it, you know, how, what, what's the financial? Mexico is the 14th richest country in the world. Okay. So it's an extremely rich country. In fact, the people don't understand how wealthy it truly is. Um, they used to be number one in tourism in the world and they're very wealthy for mining agriculture lots of things so mexico is actually a very wealthy country i think there's almost 300 countries or maybe there's more now i don't know but if you think they're number 14 in the whole world it's not too bad off and unfortunately corruption eats it all up you know if it wasn't for this corruption mexico would be an extremely wealthy country uh but the politicians steal it all and they're the ones who went on the drug game, too, because 
all these drug dealers, cartel members, they have their go and they end up dying or they end up going to prison and everything gets confiscated. But either way, if they die or if they go to prison, it gets confiscated. The politicians end up with it anyways. They always end up with their property. They always end up with their houses and their cars. So they're the real winners in this in the long term are the politicians. Getting back to the, the drug side of things. I mean, in this country, we have what's called county lines. And, you know, it start you start as a youngster, uh, as a mm. child, and, and you move your way up the ladder. Can you tell us how the system works in, in Mexico? Is it, you know, how do you become, how do you go from being on the ground to, to so, rising up the ranks? Every cartel is different. You know, a lot of people like to think that uh, like cartels are all the same. So one cartel would be very different from the other. Um, with Sinaloa, you usually start out as a lookout or a puntero. And those would be the guys with the radios that are watching the movement on the street, watching the soldiers, anything suspicious, things like that. Um, after you get their trust and you've been doing that for a while, usually a position can open up if you want it with selling dope, you know, at the, at the drug spots. And if people go well there and they press their boss or the cards are played right, they can move up to a sicario, which is the hitman. You know, it's the guy with the gun. And that doesn't mean you're killing people all the time. There are sicarios that do that, specialized sicarios. But the majority of the sicarios provide security uh, for the boss, for his family. It could be they're watching over the drug spots. There could be a million things that sicarios do that aren't killing people. Um, and after a sicario, usually you'll get a position like delivery. Like you'll be the one actually bringing the small quantities of dope to the different drug spots. And above that, it's kind of like the underboss, you know, he's the one who talks to the sicarios, to the delivery guys, to the lookouts, the lookouts report to him and he kind of conveys the information to where it needs to go. And he'll tell it to the boss if it needs to be heard. So that's the basic structure as far as like a skeleton type structure I could give you as far as moving up. Okay, Mohammed asked another question. He says, uh, where in Mexico is the best mole? <laughs> the best mole? I think that depends on uh, your opinion. I'd say here in Sinaloa, right? But I think everybody thinks their home state's the best. <laughs> <laughs> What's the murder rate out there? Um, it's, it depends on the state. But what I can tell you is five of the 10 most dangerous cities in the world with the highest homicide rates are in Mexico. So five of the 10 of the world's most dangerous cities are here. And what's more insane is we're not in a state of war supposedly right we're not in a war but we have five of the ten most dangerous cities in the world in fact when juarez was kicking off when i lived there around 2008 you know we had the iraq conflict and all that going on and there was more people dying in juarez by far as far as one city basis you know per capita basis and that's what the number game they were playing and hiding most of it including the thousands and thousands of women and the other way they play the number game is most of people are disappeared so they kidnap you and then they torture you and they get rid of you very small percentage is actually killed or shot in public in front of people and those people who killed or shot in public are the murder those are the actual murder rate so the majority of the people who are disappeared never found again they don't include them in the murder rate they're just missing people wow. so the actual murder rate isn't a tenth of what it should be what's what's the cost what's the cost of ordering a hit out there you know, like I said, that depends on cartels and every group's different, right? But usually how it works, brother, it's they don't even pay you for hit. That's not how it works. They'll have hitmen and they'll pay them a monthly salary. And you're just on call 24 hours a day. And you get paid uh, equal that month if you killed 100 people or you killed one person. 
it's it's irrelevant. You're just there on pay, and as many murders as you do that month is how many you do. Mm, interesting, Fasc fascinating stuff. Um, let's let's just look at your position, I guess. You know, you you, you decided to come onto YouTube. What was the aim of of of, of setting up that channel where you had 180,000 subscribers? What were what was your main aim when you set out to cover this? Bring awareness, brother. I got tired of all the false information from narcos, all these different series and stuff, and what people believe in. And to think we're in a conflict that has cost more deaths than our civil war, and by far, that's the numbers game they're playing. And it's still more deaths than the civil war. And we're right along the border with the United States, and people deny it's happening. Um, and the little information they do get is usually false. So I just kind of got tired of it and wanted to bring some level of truth to it. And the first three channels I did were never monetized. I think on the first ones, I got up to 50,000 subs and I still didn't monetize it. It wasn't until the fourth channel, the one that almost got to 200,000 subs when I actually monetized it. So for a long time, I was just doing this because I knew it was the right thing for three or four years. And then after that, I decided, you know, I'm risking my life and everything. There actually is nothing wrong with me profiting off it, just like any other reporter gets paid. Um, so that's when I first decided to monetize it. And that kind of brought a whole new side to it because now it was, you know, I was actually supporting my family and what I needed to do directly from YouTube. So it made me even take it more serious. Have you lost anybody that's close to you? Of course, brother. Um, if you see my channel, you know, I've had three guests on this channel that were murdered that oh. appeared on my channel so you can imagine all the people that weren't on my channel are you are you in fear for your life OG? no not at all i've had cartel jalisco threaten me and all these people threaten but let me tell you a secret something i learned when i was in that life you don't threaten someone you just do it if you threaten them you're not going to do it because why would you call someone and hit and tell them hey i'm going to come get you and let them get ready and let them know um also all these threats i know are just threats if that makes sense Real killers don't threaten. They just do it. So I definitely know there's somewhat of a threat against me, but my safety is where I live. So here in Sinaloa, we have no rival mafias. That doesn't exist. There's only the Sinaloa cartel and nothing else, which is very different. Like if you go to Jalisco, which is the other big cartel, there's whole cities controlled by the Sinaloa cartel in Jalisco. Mm. And what I'm trying to say is, I'm completely safe here. There's no other rival groups or anyone who can come get me. But if I were to leave this state, I'm sure that veil of security would be taken off me. I'm not naive, you know. Do the kids out there see uh, crime as a glamorous life or do they see it as the only option? Of course, you know, and that's the other reason I did this channel um, was the kids. I kind of wanted to de-glamorize it and let them know all you get out of this is prison, death and bad health. And it's glamorized the way rap glamorized violence like in the 90s in the United States, like Tupac and all these people. You know, violence became cool in that gangster life. That's happening here. Violence has become cool and so that cartel life. And the corridos, which is the music here, um, you know, they promote it. And I actually have a list of corridos on my channel. Um, I even actually have my own corrido, which is a, you know, narco song dedicated to me. Um, it's called the Narco Corrido OG Shadow, if you guys want to look it up. And what Corridos are is they tell, like, the story of the person, you know, kind of like ballads back in the day, like war ballads, you know? What's your view on the, the war on drugs? I mean, I think... It's a joke. Honest, yeah, I, I think, I, I've got to be honest, I believe it's a hoax. 
It's a joke. Um, it's a moneymaker. You know, if you look at all the people employed by it, whether it's through the prison system, the justice system, all the attorneys, all that, border protection, border patrol customs, there's so many jobs created and so much money confiscated, properties confiscated, um, that they couldn't legalize it even if they wanted to because it would collapse the economy. There's just millions and millions of jobs that absolutely depend on it. And it's become so big, they can't control it or legalize it, even if they wanted to. So all these people hoping for legalization, that is the true answer, right? That's how you can break these cartels is take away their money. It's very easy. But the government's never going to do that because they're making just as much, if not more, than the cartels. So it's not in the government's interest to legalize it or to stop the war on drugs. That's why they have the war on drugs. It's a moneymaker. I hope people aren't naive enough to think that our governments wouldn't be doing something if they're not profiting off it. Mm, let's face it. The biggest employer in America is the legal system, isn't it? There you go. <laughs> Roger uh, is a big fan of the channel. Uh, hi, Roger. Good pal of mine. He says, uh, has OG seen narcos? And is it anything like real life? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I suggest you check out my channel, brother. You can see me in the narco cemetery. You can see me where they murdered Chapo's son. Um, so, of course, I see Narcos. I live here, brother. I used to be one myself and be part of that life. So it's impossible to live in Sinaloa and not see him. Unless maybe you live in a very sheltered, very wealthy enclave. And even then you'll see him because they live there too. Have you ever served time in, in, in the country you're in at the moment, Mexico? Yes. What was it? What was the difference between that and the Philippines? Here's a lot more modern, you know, the prisons and stuff, and more similar to the United States, if you want the truth, as far as their protocols. And it's still very corrupt and backwards, but not near as much as the Philippines. Okay. Yeah. Um, lots of questions coming in. So much, I think, could get me into trouble. Um, OG, OG, have you got any bars to spit? Uh, no, I'm, of, I'm not really too big on rapping. I'm sorry, brother. And of course, Mohammed says, hypothetically speaking, what would it need to send him uh, to send him some cares to him in the UK? Um, I think yeah, you need to do your business brother. away from the channel, Mohammed. Yeah, um, I'm against Carl, that. I'm trying to stop that, not promote it. I'm sorry, brother. Good lads, good lad. Carl if says, you watch now, some of the though, brother, uh, stay away from it or anything. You can anybody can contact me at ogshadowofficial at gmail.com. There you go. Uh, watch some of the C. Is it the C. Jing Cartel video uh, videos on there? Ruthless, those guys, uh, says Carl. Yeah, that's why most people favor the Sinaloa Cartel because they don't touch women and children. They don't touch innocent people. For example, the people I used to work with, like Miles people, if they found you hurt a woman or were robbing people or anything, they execute you right there on spot. You don't touch civilians. You don't touch innocent people. It'll cost you your life. And the reason they do that, it's not just like they're good people and their morals. Some of them are, but it's business. You see, violence is bad for business. And on top of that, hurting innocent people turns the population against you. And that's something Sinaloa has understood. And that's why they've been so successful um, and been running for almost 40 years because the civilians protect them. So here in Sinaloa, the best protection of the mafia is the people and a lot of people don't understand the cartels like where i live every child every child they pay for their uniform they pay for their transportation to go to school for their food for everything 
So any child that doesn't have enough money to go to school or wouldn't have it for the bus or for food, they take those excuses away. So every child has a right to go to school and has no excuses not to. And that should be something the government's doing, right? But they don't. So the cartel fills in lots of gaps and actually end up doing things better than the government in lots of cases. And I'm not saying that to promote them. I'm saying like that's embarrassing, but let's tell the truth um, that they do actually, at least here in Sinaloa, help a lot of people, uh, completely so. Um, obviously, you've started a new channel, the podcast channel. The link's below. Please subscribe, people. He's over a 1,000 now, but um, I'm sure you've seen a little bit of him tonight uh, to, to understand why I follow him and why I enjoy his content. Uh, what's, what have you had on the channel and what's coming up on the channel, on your podcast? So on the podcast, I just interviewed someone who was on the Mexican Con Air, and he was actually in the same federal prison as Chapel. Um I also go into the snuff films that were being made in Juarez, which is one of the reasons behind the mass disappearances of all the women. Um, I had a federal agent on there helping me analyze it and talk about it. So basically, a lot of cartel-based content, but it, being a podcast, we go very deep into it, into the details. So for anybody who's kind of soft to summit or soft to heart, um, definitely check what you're clicking on because this is very serious issues and they can be uh very violent sometimes but it's the truth and that's what we're doing great stuff please subscribe folks the boxing inquirer says can you crip walk og uh actually i can <laughs> <laughs> muhammad says uh do the sinaloa cartel contribute to the local that's community what i was just talking about muhammad i don't know if we heard me yeah, brother. He did. yeah he did say he did answer that okay uh great stuff um last question from me before we finish og um do you think drugs should be legalized Would that of help? course of course uh the government shouldn't have a choice in what we put in our bodies from a you know standpoint of mental standpoint but on top of that if we really did want to break the cartels and these gangs and everything, all we'd have to do is legalize drugs. It's that simple. Um, they do do other things for money, kidnapping, whatever, but that's a very tiny, small percentage of their overall profit. 95% uh, of what they bring in, if not more, is from the narcotics trade. Everything else is secondary. So if we legalize drugs, we'd be getting rid of 95% of their profit, which means 95% of the people working for them would be gone. Uh, if they didn't collapse altogether, you know, it'd be hard for them to keep running with 5%. And if there was anything left, it would be a shell of, you know, what it once was. Yeah. Okay. Carl says on a couple of the narco sites, it's been mentioned that El Menchu is dead. Any thoughts? Yes. I addressed that actually in a video on my channel, on my main channel. Um, all those sites, brother, I don't know any of them that are accurate. Most of them are pro promoting a narrative and I actually go into that. There was actually two YouTube channels. One accused them for taking money from Mencho, and yeah. the other accused them from taking money from Mencho's allies. So all of them are bought out, are compromised, and they're not in Mexico. As far as I know, I'm the only one actually here in Mexico. And as you saw, Steve, did I, I showed you before we started, I'm in Mexico, didn't I? Yes, you <laughs> did, yeah. yeah. A lot of people think you're not. I mean, I don't understand that. I really, I really don't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mohammed asks quite an interesting question. He says, in Mexico, what happens to silly old men who talk rubbish in sheds? Oh, they get dealt with pretty quick, usually. <laughs> like here in Mexico, there's no, how would I say, like social justice warriors or any of that, where 
people can just run their mouth and offend people and don't have to worry about consequences. Here, if you say something, you better be able to back it up because it's going to end up costing you. People here aren't really afraid to fight, which is another thing, you know, a lot of things here aren't solved with gun violence. So like in mm. the United States, people don't like to fight anymore. Almost everything is done with guns, even kids in schools. Here, there is definitely violence, but it's more with organized crime, weapon violence. The actual people who live here in Mexico definitely preserve, uh, prefer to throw fists. There's not shootings between civilians here. The only shootings are with the cartels. So if you talk shit to just somebody random on the street, you could definitely get boxed up. <laughs> yeah, chat shit, get banged, I think, was the uh, phrase that was coined many times and many years ago. Um, the Patreon page as well, I've put the link down to that. There's, you put some exclusive stuff on there. There's been some really good stuff on there, hasn't it? Yeah, I have like videos of me taking a bullet fragment and almost bleeding out after a shootout from when I was still in that life. I have videos of people who are on my site that actually got tortured. And the cartel sent me the video of them torturing them wow. and asking for a ransom. Um, after I paid it, of course, and everything, they were released. And I put that video up to expose the people because you can actually see their faces, the people torturing them. And I don't blur their faces out or anything. Um, so, yeah, there's exclusive stuff like that, that videos you won't see anywhere on the Internet. They're exclusively on my Patreon and they're exclusive in, to our story and what actually went on to this channel. And it's stuff I can't put on YouTube or anywhere because they already demonetize and take my channels down all the time, if not wipe them out completely. So I try to be a little bit more careful and just put things like that on Patreon to not give them any excuses to get rid of me. Yeah, Carl says the Funky Town video is brutal, and that's why you need to subscribe to the Patreon, folks. If you want to, if you want the mild stuff, then go to the YouTube, follow the podcast, because the podcast's great. You get some fantastic characters on. The Conair interview is fantastic. Go to Sean Atwood's channel. Uh, just search for the OG playlist. Some fantastic stuff on there. Big shout out to Sean Atwood for sorting this out tonight. Um, I will definitely get you back on OG, and I will return the favour and come onto your podcast uh, podcast channel and do an interview with you. Keep your head down. Stay safe. Uh, keep keep producing great content and thanks so much for taking a, a little bit of time out of your day to come on to my podcast today, man. Thank you, sir. Take care, mate. God bless. God bless.